Great. Okay, thanks. So if you could have anything in the whole world, absolutely anything, what would it be? Quick question. You know, you get asked this every day, don't you? Anything you like in the whole world. Those of you who are keen and you've got a Bible on your phone or you've got a notepad to take notes, do you want to actually scribble something down so that you're not sort of changing it later on? Uh, But genuinely, have have a think about that question because we're going to start off today with a passage from Mark where James and John do just this. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What a fantastic question to ask the Messiah. And uh, those of you with kids will know, you you don't say yes to that kind of thing, do you? (laughs) Of course, Jesus doesn't. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to sit at your right and your left in glory. Now, perhaps not the classic text to start a talk on baptism, but baptism is our subject for today. And that text is going to help us to set our expectations as we hear about baptism. So keep that in mind. And as I say, if you've got something to scribble on or a phone or something like that, then do just make a note. What would you ask for? They asked to sit on the right and left of Jesus. What would you ask for? Okay. Well, so baptism is something that's been associated with Christianity from the time of John the Baptist up until now. And it's a tradition that's continued, well, it's, it's been continuous from that time up until now, uh, practiced in a variety of ways. And it's very, very rich in meaning. I haven't got a chance of pulling out every last bit of meaning from uh, the tradition of baptism if I speak about it today. Not a chance. I'm going to pull out some of the richest veins, but there's much, much more. And we'll get to, at the end, other ways that you can dig a bit deeper. The word baptism, obviously to us it's now a sacred word. It's associated with a particular tradition and ceremony. Um, normally conducted in a church, sometimes in the River Jordan. Uh, But actually, if you were a New Testament Greek speaker, you may have heard this already, this was not a sacred word. It was an everyday word. You'd use it for dyeing cloth. If you wanted to make sure the cloth was totally um, dyed all the way through, you would baptize it in the dye, and you'd pull it out, and it would be soaked through, and every part of it would be changed. If you were going out after the service today to have your cup of tea and your rich tea biscuit, you might baptize it in your cup of tea, And if you manage to pull it out again, then you didn't really baptize it because it should be soaked through and through. Hobnobs are what you want, aren't they? They come out again. Anyway, chocolate hobnobs, leave chocolate in the tea. I feel I'm digressing. Um, to, To baptize is to immerse or to dunk. And that's the meaning that it has. That's one of the sort of reasons that the practice is as we see it today. And it's really good to remember that through and through soaking as we talk not only about water baptism, but also about baptism in the Holy Spirit. As we look at baptism, it would make sense to start with John the Baptist. We're going to take a bit of a whistle-stop tour through the beginning of baptism in the New Testament. And John goes um, out into the wilderness and preaches this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside, we, realize, we, we read, rather, went out to him and confessing their sins, they were baptized in the River Jordan. Now, at the time that John the Baptist was there, the idea of washing to meet with God was not a new thing. Um, In fact, from the time of Moses and the law, there were rules about how you would wash in order to approach God. And there was this kind of linking of the external cleanliness with the internal cleaning that was needed in order to approach God that was well understood. So he wasn't doing this in a vacuum, but he does take it up a level because John is not just preaching washing to be clean before God. He's preaching repentance. 
And for those of you who were here a few weeks back, um, I had the privilege of preaching on confession and repentance. And you'll remember that that's not just a sorrow for what has gone, but it's a turning away from sin to something new. So John is not just preaching baptism by water to get a little bit clean so you can approach God. He's preaching repentance and total change. And actually some of John's words about how we should change our lives in the light of what God wants are the bluntest and the most demanding of of the New Testament. Not perhaps the most, but pretty close. Um, He has some fairly strong words. So John preaches this baptism of repentance. And of course into this, um, the most perplexing baptism of all, we have Jesus getting baptized. And this is a fun one, isn't it? Because why would Jesus need to wash to come to God? Why would Jesus need to repent when he's living perfectly and continued to live perfectly for the rest of his earthly life? Well, there are a couple of things going on. There is the sense that he is identifying with us. Jesus' dealing with our sin is bookended by his baptism, almost a baptism into the human condition and his death and resurrection. And that bookends his dealing with our sin. And so there is the sense of Jesus identifying with us. But I want to say there's something else going on here as well. And it's in Jesus' words. So, is that something I did? I'm going to ignore it. Jesus, uh, John tries to deter Jesus and says, I need to be baptized by you. And, and you're coming to me? And Jesus says, Let's, let it be so for the present. It's, we do well to, I'm trying to remember the words from this, this one I put up here rather than the words from gospel. Um, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. There you go. And then John consents. So Jesus is doing this as an act of obedience. If you fulfill a requirement, you're being obedient to something other than yourself. And I think this is an absolutely critical part of baptism. Um, one of our friends, uh, a lady called B, was baptized a few months ago now, and her testimony when she stood up was actually almost all the other reasons have fallen away. Jesus says, get baptized. I'm going to be obedient to what Jesus says. So baptism is about forgiveness and repentance, but it's also about obedience to a command of God. Another aspect of baptism I want to pull out is it is the mark of a disciple. Jesus sent out his disciples with that great commission ringing in their ears, go and preach the gospel to all nations. It's up there on the screen, come on. (laughs) Thank you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For him, this is inextricably linked with being a disciple. You believe, you become a disciple, you are baptized. And that's part of his sending commission, is go and make disciples and baptize them. Baptize them in my name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see Peter take this on when he preaches at Pentecost. And he gives this message about how you you totally missed it with Jesus and you got him killed. In fact, you killed him. And you handed him over and had him killed. And he was the one that God had sent you. And the believers, sorry, the believers, the Jews there are cut to the heart. And they say, what should we do? And his answer is, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, forgiveness we've talked about already, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in Peter's early preaching, we see it there as well, straight away, he's been sent out to make disciples and baptize them. 
Some people say to him, what shall we do? Believe, repent, be baptized. And I want to take a little aside here just to talk about what you might have heard referred to as the normal Christian birth. And what do we mean by normal Christian birth? There are some things in the Bible where God says, do it this way, and you do it that way, and that's it. And, you know, we don't negotiate. You know, you get your own universe, and you can make your own rules. But there are some things where you see a pattern in Scripture, and you say, well, this is what we should expect. There might sometimes be other ways it happens, but this is what we should expect. And there's probably a good reason if it happens any other way. And we see this in Peter's preaching here. He says, first of all, he preaches, and they believe. And then he says, okay, now repent and be baptized and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there's this pattern that we come to expect and you see it again and again and again in the book of Acts, in the preaching of, uh, and the, the, the letters of Paul and Peter. And this is what has become the norm is that you believe, you repent, you're baptized in water and those two go together inextricably. In fact, they're almost used interchangeably in Scripture. Some people have, have sort of asked the questions of, well, can you be saved without being baptized? Because some of the Scriptures say, believe and be baptized and you'll be saved. And other ones say, repent and believe and you'll be saved. And some say, confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. And the fact is that for this early church, that's what you did. You repented, you were baptized, you confessed publicly. It was all one thing. And why would you separate it? Um, in fact, you get Philip, don't you, when he preaches to the Ethiopian in the chariots and he explains the way of God and, and the Ethiopian's response is, well, is there anything stopping me from be ba- being baptized? Look, there's some water over there. That, that's the biggest obstacle he had was we're in the middle of a desert road. Where's the water? So there is this sense that, that those two went really tightly together and also a sense that that went tightly with baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I say this is normal there are a couple of situations where it doesn't happen that way. And I'll just dig into those quickly. So one is Peter and Cornelius. And you'll remember Cornelius was a Roman centurion. And he has a vision from God saying, send for Peter. He's over there by the sea in Joppa. And, uh, and have him come and, and explain about God to you. And so he does that. And simultaneously, Peter has this vision saying, there's going to be some men coming from you know, a Roman soldier. Go with them. It's okay. And you know, don't call them unclean. So he goes with them and he starts preaching to this assembly of a a Roman household. We don't know exactly who would have been there, but certainly um, Cornelius, his family, and and a whole range of friends and presumably some of the soldiers in his regiment and so on. And although Peter is preaching the good news to them, you see from things he says later on, he's not really 100% sure how the Gentiles, the non-Jews, fit into this new kingdom. You know, do they get the full package? Not really sure. And as he's preaching, there's a response in the, the hearts of the people he's talking to, and God sends his Holy Spirit. And they start speaking in other languages, and his response is, well, if God's given them this, how can we withhold anything from them? And so he consents, and they're all baptized in water. So that one is the other way around. They get the Holy Spirit first. But the idea is very clearly because it's God saying, look, it's okay. <laughs> I'm doing this. You know, they're in, they get the full package, which is just as well for those of us who aren't Jewish by descent. Isn't that great? We get the Holy Spirit, we get the water baptism, we get to be part of the people of God. That's amazing. Another situation where it doesn't quite happen as, as tight together is where Philip goes to Samaria. And again, you may remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He goes and turns the people of Samaria away from this superstitious belief in Simon the sorcerer, their sort of... Uh, 
witch doctor type, con man type uh, figure who leads them all astray. And he, he turns them to faith in Christ and they're baptized for forgiveness. But then it comes to the, the ears of the apostles in Jerusalem that although they've been baptized in water, they've not received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John get together and off they go to Samaria and they start praying for people. And as they pray for people, the Holy Spirit comes on them. And again, we see them starting to speak in other languages and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, although that was the the same order we've got here, there was that disconnect between them receiving water baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not immediately clear why that is. Um, and it's only there's no indication that they're somehow lesser believers or that Philip's a, a lesser um, evangelist. But there's a clear expectation from Peter and John that we can't just leave them with the water baptism. They need the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, thank you. Graham agrees. <laughs> and that is just an encouragement to us today, actually, because many of us um, here, maybe even most of us here, have received baptism in water. But I suspect, from from conversations I've had with other Christians, I suspect that there's some people here who feel, actually, I've not been baptized, immersed, totally soaked in the Holy Spirit. I've not had that sense of being overwhelmed by the presence of God, and I would like it. And this message is not one of, you are a lesser Christian, because that's not what was said to, uh, you know, to Philip and the people he had led to the Lord. But there's something more. And it's fantastic. And you know what? You're not getting the full package without it. And it's there for you, so why not have it? So I don't want to be callous. I know there are people who have prayed and prayed and prayed and felt they've never received that. I don't want to callously say, well, you didn't do it right. But what I do want to do is throw out an invitation that if you have not yet received baptism in the Holy Spirit, come and talk to somebody on the leadership team. I'd recommend praying with Helen and Graham um, from experience. But actually, there would be loads of people here. Who, who would love to pray with you for that. Come and talk to somebody on the leadership team. We would love to stand with you and pray and fast and whatever else it takes until you receive that because it's a gift of God. And I believe that God does not give scorpions when we ask for eggs because that's what Jesus said. Okay, so I think this is the pattern we can expect. It doesn't mean it happens exactly that way for everybody, but this is what we should expect. If we're, if we're leading somebody to the Lord, we should expect that when they believe and they repent, we baptize them. And God baptizes them. And that's fantastic. And it's important to remember here that baptism belongs to God. And what do I mean by that? I mean, it's although the action appears to be on our part, and we're the ones who stand here, and we're the ones who go and stand in the pool over there and get dunked underneath, baptism is God's command. God created it. God designed it. And it does have to happen on his terms. And so I guess I want to throw out a challenge there as well, that if you've um, perhaps been sitting on your faith for a while and thinking, you know, I I will get baptized when I'm ready. Actually, I'm I'm not convinced that's the model that God gives us. I think the model that God gives us is believe and be baptized. And I totally don't want to suggest that if you are not sure of your faith, um, you know, if you're you're at a stage of questioning it um, considerably, that I would just get baptized anyway. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're convinced of your faith and haven't been baptized as a believer, I'd, I'd just like to throw that out as a, actually, this is, this is something that belongs to God and it doesn't rest on you. There's a, there's a freeing in that, actually, isn't there? It doesn't rest on you having the right feeling or being convinced 100% that everything in your life is tied up and sorted. 
because that's never going to happen. Um, it's dependent on you expressing faith and repentance and God doing the rest. And that's amazing. So there is a freeing in that as well. I, I don't want that to sound heavy-handed. I, th- I think it's a freeing thing. So this is the normal Christian birth into the family of God. I've pulled out already the meanings of forgiveness and obedience and how it's a mark of the disciple, nailing your colors to the mast, if you like. Um, there's another meaning I want to pull out. And um, in many respects, I've saved my favorite for last. But this is one of the meanings of baptism that Paul particularly pulls out, um, which is that baptism is death and resurrection. So I want to go back to that passage we started with, because James and John come to Jesus and they say, give us anything we want. Sit us at the right and the left-hand side of God. And so they come to him with a huge request. And his response is to ask something massive of them, although they may not realize it at the time. He says, can you drink the cup that I will drink? Can you undergo the baptism I will undergo? Now, bear in mind here, he's not talking about water baptism. We know this because the cup that I will drink is a clear reference to that prayer at Gethsemane of drinking the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. And he says, please take it away, but not my will, but yours. So this baptism that he's undergoing is the baptism of death and resurrection. And in fact, he prophesies it over James and John as well. He says, you will. You will undergo the baptism that I undergo. You will drink the cup I drink. Um, not necessarily the best of exchanges because he then goes on and says, and the thing you were asking for, sorry, it's not mine to give. <laughs> on, on a basic level, they've not done well out of this exchange, have they? But actually, obviously, they come to a point of, of willingly following into that. So Jesus sees baptism as linked with death and resurrection. And just to, oh yeah, that, I thought, you know, if Jesus had his own television show, that would be it, wouldn't it? Come die with me. (laughs) A little bit of light-hearted entertainment before we go on to death and resurrection. There we go. So Paul pulls off on this in in Romans 6. He says, you know, don't you know that everyone who is baptized into Christ Jesus was baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death So that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I'm going to read that again. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that same glory of resurrection, in that same way, we too may live a new life. It's not saying this is like a a small-scale copy. Just as Christ was gloriously raised to life, we too may live a new life. I find that exciting. Okay, so baptism is a burial. Why do we want to be dying and raising to life? Those of you who've seen the born identity. Anyone here seen the born identity? Wave a hand. Yeah, good. Okay, enough to do the metaphor. Okay. Born wakes up from an amnesic, um, amnesiac uh, sort of sleep in the middle of the water uh, off, off the shore and gradually kind of pieces his life back together and realizes that he's a CIA assassin and he doesn't want to be anymore. And he sort of tries to get out of it. And the first film shows him sort of trying to escape. And they want him back and they pursue him. And he's forced into this kind of cycle of violence as he tries to escape his past. And the fact is, he's a slave. He doesn't have his own identity. All he has is the identity they gave him. 
and he is a slave to everything that he has done, and he cannot escape it. Spoiler alert, in the third film, (laughs) um, he is shot at as he jumps off a roof and lands in the river, and everyone thinks he's dead. And then in the final credits, you see his kind of not-quite-girlfriend smiling at the news reports that say he's dead because she knows. And then you see him swimming away. And he's alive, but he's allowed this appearance of death to continue because now he is dead to his old life. He is not a slave to be a CIA assassin anymore. Hopefully that's not the issue that most of us here face. Um, If you see any red dots hovering around. Um, But nevertheless, that image is there. We are slaves to sin is what the Bible says. You, You look at the world around us and it's clear that human progress has not led us to be free of sin. It may lead us to redefine sin sometimes in a way that's probably not helpful, but it has not led us to be free. And Jesus says, die to it. Die to it. Be be rid of it. Be rid of that enslavement that you had. And what are we raised to? We're raised to life in righteousness. Right living. This is the fantastic thing. We're not just left in neutral. We haven't just got rid of the, you know, rid of the debt. And we're left with zero pounds. And okay, well, there we are. We're raised to new glorious life. Remember, just as Christ was raised to life, we are raised to life like that. That's one of the symbolisms of baptism. And it's a fantastic one. Absolutely fantastic. We are are dead to sin. And we are alive to right living. But there's more than that. We, we, We hear the phrase bandied around of death to self. And I don't know about you, I find it hard to unpack that. And I want to say, I think death to self is really to do with being dead to our own ambition. Just to give an example of that, my dad is an engineer by training, and he's actually a very good engineer. And it rapidly became um, obvious when he was working for this US engineering company that he's also a very good manager of engineers. And he ended up managing a large office. And every now and again, I'd hear the conversation with my, you know, my parents talking it over. And she'd say, oh, you know, is there a promotion in the pipeline? And he'd say, well, actually, it's got to the point where if I want to progress further in this company, I'm probably going to have to play golf at the weekends with the right people. And I'll probably have to put in an extra couple of hours at the office every day. And, you know, I never heard this said, but he didn't. And I know why that was. And the reason is because although it was all very well to want to do well by his family and to bring in more money and to take on more responsibility and authority, there was a much higher call on his life that eclipsed it totally. And the reason he didn't play golf on a weekend and didn't stay two extra hours at the office was because he cared about his family. I found that a really useful picture for the call that we have on our lives because it's all very well to want to um, have ambition. (laughs) It's It's all very well to have desires for our lives but actually when we come to Christ we're saying I'm dead to all of those if you give them back totally fine but I've got to be dead to them to start with I've got to be prepared to put them aside what did Peter want with his life he probably wanted to to catch a few more fish than his dad he had to die to that what did James and John want they wanted to sit at the right and the left hand of God. Okay, admittedly, after they'd followed Jesus for a while, they probably wanted to do the fishing thing too. But they wanted to sit in the right and left hand of God, and they, they had to put that aside. 
and they took a different mission that God gave them. I want to be really careful about what I am and what I'm not saying here because what I'm not saying is that we should not have really high ambitions for doing something well. I think it's absolutely fantastic that we have in this room and in this church people who are world-class midwives or nurses, people who are world-class teachers, managers, uh, people who are fantastic caretakers, and uh, I don't know, there, there are probably other examples I could pull out, but it's great that we seek excellence. I'm not for a second saying that mediocrity is a mark of the kingdom of God. That would be totally stupid. God made excellence. God is perfection. But it has to be something that if we're going to devote energy and decent amounts of our time and our life and our money to, it's got to be something that God wants. And if we ever get to the stage where excellence in our career or even providing as best as we can for our family becomes more important than what's the call of God on my life, then we've got it the wrong way around. I just want to unpack that in a couple of ways if I can, actually. Um, Many of you will know Ben and Michelle, who are missionaries. And Ben told me a story once, which really, actually really got to me. Some of the students here will remember, because you would have been there in Jesus College Chapel when, when he told us this. But he had been, uh, he, he's, he's working among an unreached people group, people who have, by and large, never heard of Jesus, never heard the gospel. And he'd heard that there was one believer in this isolated village that he wanted to go and visit. And so he you know, caught a lift with somebody going on a, a, bus, a bush taxi and then rode a bit further on a donkey cart and walked the last bit. And eventually, after a couple of days of journeys, arrived at this tiny little village. And he said it was on a little sort of mound and he could stand on the mound and look all around and could not see another living soul. And there was this one believer and I think two other people in this little settlement. And he said, God, I thought you were sending me to, to reach the masses of unreached people for you. And here I am with three people, one of whom's a believer. What am I doing here? And what God said to him was, but you're where I want you to be. So even his godly ambition needed to die to obedience to Christ. And that is the vow that we make in in baptism. Another example just to give, which is quite close to home for us, I think. um, God has called us as a community to be living out missional community, we call it, to be living in groups that are community and that are reaching out to others. And I know that it's varied as to how easy that's been as an adjustment. Some people have have gone in easily, you know, actually, yeah, this is what I've always wanted to do. And for other people, it's been, actually, but I I really want the group the way I had it before because that, you know, it grew me and it blessed me and, um, you know, I really appreciated it and found life in it. But actually, as good as that may be, if we've died to ourself, and if we've died to our own driving of our own life, our own ambitions, then I think we need to hear the call of God and say, well, this is what God is saying. And it might be less comfortable for me, but actually we've got to go with what God wants for our lives. That's baptism. Death death to ourself and resurrection it does cost us but the message is very clearly Christ 
is enough. Baptism is about forgiveness. Who can wash away all of our sins? As the song goes, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Christ is enough for us to be forgiven. It's about obedience. We can have all kinds of plans and ambitions, but actually obedience to Christ is enough. We can have all kinds of identities, but our identity as disciples of Christ is enough. And we can have life, but actually the life of Christ is better and Christ is enough. Okay, so repentance, obedience, death, resurrection, what do we do about it? I've got some pictures for us. So these are the last couple of baptisms I remember being at. And, yeah, I'm getting death stares from Livy now. It's a good photo. (laughs) Invitation number one. If you've believed in Christ and you haven't been baptized, there's both a command and an invitation. Get baptized! (laughs) Um, Just like Philip and that Ethiopian You know, he shared the good news and it's like the only obstacle was, can we find enough water for me to get dunked? You know, let that be our response. What's preventing me? Not not should I do it, but what's preventing me from being baptized? And it would be good to ask that question if you haven't been baptized. What's preventing me? I should add that as a church, we believe in believer's baptism. So we believe that it's something that you should do when you have come to a point of believing in Christ for yourself. I'm aware that's not the view that um, all Christians hold, and my, the last thing I want to do is to disrespect the views of any other part of the Christian community, but I will say strongly what we believe and what we have come to from the study of scriptures, which is that baptism is something that we do as adult believers to say, or teenage believers in many cases, to say, yes, I, have, I believe this for myself, and I am getting baptized to nail my colors to the mast. Um, I would personally see infant baptism as that kind of prophetic, hopeful in the good sense statement that we want our children to be part of the community. We welcome them amongst us and we pray God's blessing on them and we pray that they will grow up into everything that that act symbolizes. But that I I personally believe, and this this was my own walk having been christened as as a child, was that there is then a step of adult baptism to say, and I will show this myself because I believe. Um, in the same way that we don't consider it enough for parents to believe for their children. I I believe that parents um, can take their responsibility so far and then the child has to step up and say, yeah, this is me, I'm getting baptized. So if that's something that affects you in terms of whether you were christened or baptized as an infant, I'd, I'd just encourage you to go back to the scriptures and say, what do the scriptures offer? What do the scriptures command? And do I feel that... Um, my baptism aligns with that and the last thing I want to do as I say is to disrespect other traditions but if you as I did come to the view that actually I would like to be baptized as an adult fantastic let's talk about that Um, the first step in either of those cases will be to give you this book um, written by Mike Beaumont uh, baptism basics and that is able to encapsulate far more about baptism than I've been able to in this talk. There is a richness to it that goes beyond what I can communicate. 
And there's also a lot of practical stuff in there. What does it look like to get baptized? What kind of questions should I ask? So um, either to read on your own or to work through with a friend or a personal pastor would give you this book. And in fact, I have one here. And there are many, many more on the welcome desk out there. So grab one of these and have a read through it. And then um, have a conversation with one of the elders of the church. We want to take baptism seriously. We want to make sure that um, we are treating it with the reverence it deserves. And so um, there's then a conversation with the elders to say, yes, I want to get baptized. And after that, we have got, oh, I went past it without saying, because there's practicalities involved in getting people baptized, like we want the water to be above Arctic temperature for a start. Um, we do need to do it on particular Sundays. It takes quite a lot of time, actually, to get the thing set up and to heat the water and all that kind of thing. So we do have set Sundays for it. The next one is in three weeks' time, October 25th. So if this is something that has caught you and you go, yeah, actually, I'm going to do this, that's good three weeks. After that, it's November. So, um, yeah, do get started on that, on, that, um, on that path, on that trajectory. That would be fantastic. That's one action. Another one would be for those of us who are baptized in water but have not yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit and not yet been immersed in that. My own experience was actually quite a bizarre one. I imagine it may well be for a lot of us because it's something that is unexpected. I was in a church in Wimbledon, um, a Pentecostal Elam church, fantastic group of people, and I was worshipping one day and suddenly all I could say was I had to get down on the floor and I was just totally face down on the floor and just knew the sovereignty of God like like lying on the bottom of the sea and feeling that whole weight of water pressing down. And it was like that weight of God on me. And amazingly, it felt like the safest place ever. It's still something I do when I find that I'm really worried about something that is beyond my control. I just I have to get down like that and just go, God, your sovereignty covers me. And from that time, yeah, that, I would say that was my first experience of baptism in the Spirit. Um, excitingly, the Bible tells us to go on getting baptized in the continuous sense, if you're into the, the Greek grammar, which I, I'm taking the, the scholarship of others as, um, as better than mine on. So it's go on being filled, go on being immersed in the Holy Spirit. So it's not a one-off thing. And if it's just something that you're out of practice on, then let's pray about that as well, because it's exciting. And it prepares us, it nearens us, nearens us, approaches us to God um, in a way that is intimate and fantastic. So that's an action as well. If you haven't been baptized or if it's been too long, get baptized in the Holy Spirit again and let's pray about that. And then for those of us who have been baptized and who go on being baptized in the Spirit, there's also a call to remember. We read in the Romans 6 passage, Paul saying, you know, remember when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death and his resurrection. Every time we read those scriptures about baptism, it's a reminder to us of what we've done and it's a reminder to us even more than that of what God has done. And that's fantastic. It's a major encouragement. And we can look back at our baptism in a way that I think we're supposed to and say, yeah, that happened. And you know what? That reminds me that I'm dead to sin. That happened. It reminds me that I'm free to live a life full of the Holy Spirit. It reminds me that I'm free to live a life that reflects the life of God. It reminds me that I'm part of the family of Christ. And all of these other rich meanings, which, again, as I say, have a flick through the baptisms book and find more of them that I haven't pulled out. So, get baptized. Water, spirit, and let's remember what God has done for us. Amen.